and they are just fearless, you know, because of God's work in them. But I think it's much more common to have people who are affected by or filled with fear and anxiety, but it's what they choose to do in the midst of that that makes them courageous. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went, it blew into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Weird Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 63. I interview Pierce Taylor Hibbs about his book, Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully with Anxiety. We talk about his own personal experience with anxiety and how God can use that to conform you to his image. So, with no further ado, let's get weird. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Samuel. Uh, so let's start just by hearing a little bit about your story about how you uh, grew up and came to know Christ. Sure. I grew up in the church. Uh, my father was a, a Bible fellowship pastor, so I was a pastor's kid um, and uh, came to faith pretty early on, um, seven years old, um, lived in the faith for many years, uh, kind of took it for granted. Um, and then uh, in college, uh, had a a series of events that took place that had me uh, go through a process of questioning and then re-embracing uh, mm. faith in a way that was much stronger. So my uh, my father passed away when I was uh, when I was eighteen, um, and that, among other things, led me to uh, shortly thereafter develop an anxiety disorder, which was uh, a crushing thing. Uh, continues to be at times. Um, but that whole crushing experience um, brought me to um, have a, a kind of pure search for faith mm. and to develop that in, in real dependence on the Lord. Um, so it was in, in that college uh, era that I really uh, reclaimed faith and started to pursue uh, what God wanted me to do with my life. Um, in addition to knowing that I, I wanted to write uh, I didn't yet know that I wanted to go to seminary or that that was what I was had in my plans, but uh, 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 the Lord brought me to realize that. Um, so I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, did my master's there, um, and uh, my wife and I, uh, she put me through seminary, uh, and uh, we started our family shortly thereafter. So we have three kids now. I've been working there. Um, I got one more advanced degree, a THM from there. Uh, I've been teaching there for years, uh, writing and uh, what we call theological English, but basically teaching uh, writing and and then doing a lot of writing uh, on the side. Um, so that was my undergrad was professional writing. So I always wanted to write. I just didn't know how the Lord would use that or when I would be able to um, to start doing it. Um, so that was, uh, that's been a real blessing over the last several years, just to feel like I'm doing the thing that God wants me to do, uh, in terms of, of writing and, um, ministering to readers through the experiences that I've had and the, and the theology that I've been blessed to learn. Um, so that's where I am now, uh, still doing writing a lot, still, uh, teaching, editing, uh, doing anything with words, basically. And uh, that's my, I'm an English nerd. So if there are any English nerds listening or watching, that's, that's what I am. Right on. Um, so, um, 
so tell us, you know, we're here to talk uh, today about anxiety, and which you've written a book on it. Uh, so tell us how this book came about, um, and, you know, what else have you written um, besides this work? Yeah, the, the book on anxiety is called Struck Down But Not Destroyed, uh, Living Faithfully with Anxiety. And I wrote the book because uh, for years I was just reading books about anxiety and my faith and uh, trying to um, come to grips with how I could live with this. Um, of course, the, the Christian dream, um, which is, is usually shattered pretty quickly, but the Christian dream for people with anxiety is that they will someday, someday wake up and have enough faith to make all of their anxiety disappear. Mm. Um, and they just they're just looking for a way to make that leap. Um, and my experience that that didn't happen. I was really struggling um, and trying to be faithful and still dealing with it. And I didn't find any Christian writing about anxiety from a first person perspective um, who wasn't trying to tell the reader, you can get over this. Um, that was the kind of continuing message. And I think that that message applies to some people. There are some people who go through anxiety for a season um, and, and they go through that and, and the Lord teaches them something and they keep going. But there are other people like myself who have dealt with it for over a decade mm -hmm. uh, and it just stays. And we can either feel really guilty about that, which certainly has a damaging effect on our faith, or we could start to dive deeper and ask questions like, uh, not just why am I dealing with this? Because there is a biblical answer to that, um, which we can talk about. But what is God trying to do through this? Um, and we don't usually ask uh, those kind of what or maybe how questions very much. Yeah. So this this was a time for me to say, okay, I I want to write about my experience as a Christian in the first person. Uh, I want readers to know that I I struggle with this. I'm a fellow struggler. I'm trying to encourage people with all of the things that God has been teaching me for years. And I want to do it in a way that doesn't make people feel guilty or faithless for still having anxiety in their lives. Um, and, and I think that that is a danger, maybe not so much now as it, as it used to be, but there's still a danger within the church of people making a, a simplistic relationship between suffering and faith. And they'll mm -hmm. say, well, if, if you're dealing with this, this kind of suffering, um, you must have be, you must be doing something wrong. Your faith must be too weak, or you must be following the wrong kind of, um, advice, or, um, you must have two, you know, desires that are too worldly. Mm -hmm. And so that's, there's a direct connection, right. Between your faith and your suffering. Um, and it's, it's ironic that a lot of Christians live this way, even if on the surface they might deny it, um, because that's exactly the sort of simplistic thinking that's woven throughout the book of Job. Uh, Job's friends mm. are repeatedly telling him, Job, you must have done something wrong because no one would suffer this way you know, at the hands of God unless he was living in sin. Yeah. Uh, and as readers, you know, we get this insider view at the beginning of the book of Job that says God himself is declaring Job upright and righteous. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't say that Job is sinless. You know, that's a different thing. But he says Job is, is an upright and, and holy man. There's no one else on earth who is who's like him. Yeah. And, and so Job is going through a ridiculous amount of suffering. And yet he's not going through that, we know, because of sin he's committed. 
Mm-hmm. So that in itself is a huge challenge to um, this kind of direct correlation we try to make between suffering and faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that that correlation can't be there. You know, if if you're, for example, struggling with alcoholism, that is probably going to have some direct connections to to faith issues that you have. Sure. So I think the fact that the connection is sometimes there encourages people to to just assume like, oh, you're struggling with X. Let's try to find the direct correlation um, that that could solve the problem. And as well intended as that is, God's sovereignty and providence are far more complex than we realize. And God, in fact, uh, instead of just kind of focusing on the whole punishment for sin um, theme, there's a a brighter theme that I found uh, in Scripture in the words of Jesus and also the Apostle Paul, that says, instead of looking for what you've done wrong that is related to your suffering, maybe you should look at what you might be doing right that's related to your suffering. Hmm. You know, Job suffered because he was righteous. In fact, it's kind of uncomfortable for us to think about God is the one who brought Job to Satan's attention. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't that Satan said, hey, God, I found this really righteous man. Can I persecute him? You know, Joe, uh, Satan says, well, I've been roaming the earth, you know, to and fro. And then God is the one who says, hey, have you considered my servant, Job? Right. Um, and, and we kind of gloss over that and think like, oh, yeah, that's God was actually the one who brought him out. Why would he do that? And I think if, if you know that God is wholly good and scripture is very clear that God is is a holy good God then you have to say that there must be something better that God is doing than the comfort that Job would have enjoyed if he didn't suffer. Hmm. And that was um, informative for me. I thought there, there must be something better than Job's definition of success or comfort. Um, and it was extremely painful and scary to many, many of us. But after years of reading the book of Job, I, I always find that I'm comforted now when I read it because I think Job was doing, Job had the worst possible things happen to him. And he came out on the other side with deeper faith, you know, with, with a greater strength, probably with more gratitude for the things that he used to have that he took for granted. Um, so his, his soul was just deeper. Uh, after that whole experience. And um, I find that very encouraging. And it's related to anxiety, of course, because anxiety is an intense form of suffering. Um, So many people uh, will find others in the church who really want to help, but instead of helping, they're they're confronted with a a kind of guilt. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something for, for listeners out there. I don't say this in general. I mean, my father passed away when I was 18. Uh, my mother dealt with anxiety, you know, continues to deal with it. Um, and his, my father's position on it when he was living was to make it a judgment of faith. You know, you're, you're dealing with the anxiety because your faith isn't strong enough, mm-hmm. which kind of creates uh, this ideal of if you have faith, you are absolutely fearless. Mm-hmm. And I think there are probably some cases where that's true very special cases of, of people that, you know, who, who have the spirit of God dwelling in them richly and, and they are just fearless, you know, because of God's work in them. But I think it's much more common to have people who are 
affected by or filled with fear and anxiety, but it's what they choose to do in the midst of that, that makes them courageous. Mm. Uh, and when I try to, we have three kids. So when I try to explain what it means to be brave or courageous, it's counterintuitive for kids because they think that yeah. brave means like, oh, I'm not afraid. You're not scared, yeah. And, and I said, no, no, no. That look at all these people in the Bible that you know that do these crazy things. It never says that they had absolutely no fear. It, it just says that they went and they did these things. But you don't know what's going on inside the the you know character's mind. Um, and there are a lot of people who are told to do something in the midst of fear. Um, but I think again, we have a very superficial reading of certain passages and we look at something like the famous Joshua passage and when God says be be strong and courageous uh, and we almost think of that as an order to stop feeling hmm. like you're 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 not allowed to feel anxious or fear you know banish those things um, same thing with Matthew 6 very commonly misused passage in, in the church where people say hey Jesus says don't be anxious so stop it you know just stop feeling that. And I don't know of any example in, in the history of the world where someone was told to stop feeling something and it actually worked. Like, you know, you don't, you don't just stop feeling things. Um, so having all of those things uh, churning inside me for years, I wrote the anxiety book uh, to help people who are kind of longtime strugglers with anxiety or they know people who are struggling with anxiety for the long haul. And um I've written about it since then as well, but the, the struck down, but not destroyed book is the one that focuses intensely on it. Um, afterwards, I wrote a book called uh, finding hope and hard things, which was kind of a general approach to suffering. Uh, mm-hmm. But I talk about anxiety in there as well. Uh, in addition to grief and um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's become a prominent thing for me to write and speak about because uh, so many people struggle with it. And I think so many people are still not comfortable talking about it. Yeah. And um, that's something that I hope is getting better, you know, as, as mental health and the church has talked about a little bit more. Um, but yeah, just to give you a sense of, of God's providence with that book, I published it in January. Uh, COVID hit in March. Mm. So I had no idea yeah. the mental health crisis that was coming. Yeah. Um, and then since then, um, you know, if you read any any articles on mental health, the statistics are just ridiculous with how many people are struggling with yeah. anxiety, depression, you know, all these other um, forms of mental illness. So, yeah, I, I hope that the book has been a, a catalyst for discussion among Christians. Um, and I think in a sense, I've hoped that the book is calling uh, Christians back to the gospel message of Christ to, to pick up your cross um, and follow him, uh, and deny yourself, you know, suffering is a form of self-denial. Um, when we complain about suffering, we're usually working on some element of self-justification. Uh, you know, why is this happening to me can often be translated as this shouldn't be happening to me. Um, and so I think that I want people to realize that the good news, even though it doesn't look like it at first, but the good news of scripture is that Suffering is a path that you walk through. Uh, it's not going to destroy you. Uh, as Paul said, you know, you're going to be struck down, but not destroyed. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I find most disconcerting about suffering is that we feel as if it's foreign, like this shouldn't happen to me. Uh, and certainly I felt like that as a teenager when I was watching my father die in front of me. 
I thought this should not be happening. Um, people shouldn't have to suffer like this. And our understanding of sin in a broken world says, yeah, yeah, you're right. This shouldn't be happening. You know, everything's broken. But deeper in scripture, there's this very encouraging teaching from Jesus and from the apostle Paul that says, actually, suffering is supposed to happen if you have true faith in Christ. Like Paul right, says that yeah. he wants to suffer with Christ so that he can be raised with him. So there's this relationship between your identification as a Christian is one who suffers in Christ. Mm. And you can't, you don't, you don't go to resurrection life by jumping over top of the suffering, right? You go through the valley of suffering, just like Christ did, suffering and then up uh, into glory. And I think that that is a, a precious truth of the church that has always been there. It's always been... Um, expounded upon, but I think in broader culture, it can get replaced with uh, things that frankly just make us feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be told that my path is suffering unto glory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to be told that my path is like, well, you're going to have to stand up to a debate or two, but basically you can just live a normal life and, and say you agree with the gospel and you'll be okay. Uh, and, and I don't think it's that simple for scripture. I think there's, there's a demanding call um, and I think that that actually has a, a revolutionary way on how a uh, revolution on how we look at suffering. Mm. So instead of looking at suffering as, oh no, this is bad. This, this shouldn't be happening. There's a strange sense in which we say like, yeah, this is, this is what Jesus said was going to happen and it's happening right now, which means something really good is coming. Mm. Um, something that I probably would not be able to see or chase after if, I didn't have the suffering in my life. Um, so that's a little bit about where the book has come from, what I hope it's going to do uh, and continues to do. Um, but yeah, for I think uh, the theme of response that I've heard from readers over the last few years has just been uh, they hadn't, hadn't seen someone write about it from this perspective in terms of identifying anxiety as something that is a spiritual tool in the hands of God. Uh, that he's using it to shape you, uh, that you might experience blessings through this that you never would have experienced if you didn't have anxiety as a, a teacher, so to speak. Um, you know, it's it's to the to the degree today that I'm so I'm so confident in what I've watched God do in my life through anxiety that someone said uh, at one point, you know, I can't wait until you don't have to deal with this anymore. You know, and you just and just God just you know gets you past it. Yeah. And I said, I don't know if I want that because I haven't had this effective of a teacher like ever. Like I grew up in the church and my faith wasn't really challenged. I didn't really grow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was a pastor's kid, but I came to seminary as, a, as an English major knowing virtually no theology. I mean, I really did not have a, a sense of why I believed what I believed, you know, what the nature of this, this God was that I believed in. Um, but as soon as anxiety hit, you know, I, I kind of buried my head and started searching for anything that God might be giving to me to, to help me know his, uh, his character better, know what my purpose is here, uh, know how I'm supposed to navigate through a particular bout of suffering with faith. Um, I didn't have to do that when I was comfortable, yeah. you know, I didn't have to grow and, um, you know, I've told people before, I feel, sometimes I feel like all, all growth requires some kind of grand disaster. 
where we just get broken open and then we're finally susceptible to hear the voice of God and follow the voice of God and separate that voice from the other voices that we're hearing. Um, I think that that doesn't happen very commonly apart from some form of suffering. Um, and you don't have to have suffering to make that happen. So I'm not telling people that they're, they're not Christian if they haven't suffered. I'm just saying there are probably things that you will see through suffering that you may not see through another avenue. And that's yeah. been the case for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And that's definitely something that I gathered from reading your book is, and it was neat that you told it first person that you're speaking about your own experiences with it. Um, you're able to see your struggle with it and you know, where you are now. And you didn't write it from perspective of something that, this is something that you beat that, you know, is, is all past tense. And you speak about it, how you're continuing, um, essentially, um, working through it and, and you bring your faith into it and you, you speak about this from a biblical perspective. So I think for the Christian, especially, um, that is dealing with anxiety, uh, you know, this can give you, uh, you know, more more of a, a long-term, long-term hope, you know, because I think, I imagine it would be debilitating um, because most of what you get from most people are going to be some sort of fix or explanation. And I know that's, that's tiresome. Um, yeah. And so I think a big theme in the book, as you kind of just walked us through, was God displaying his strength through our weakness. You used um, an example that I thought was was very powerful, and that was Jesus in Gethsemane. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's a very clear example, the passage of Jesus in Gethsemane, a very clear example of how uh, the Son of God incarnate was certainly dealing with anxiety. Um, and we only see the snapshot there um, in, in that passage, but I think it provides a really helpful model, um, not necessarily a solution, because I think when, when people hear solution, they think if I do X, then I can avoid Y. Hmm. And Jesus in that passage is almost saying, like, if you do X, you can go through Y. So you're not avoiding it, but he's saying, you know, he, he tells God, you know, the, the father, he tells the father that he wants the cup to pass from him, right? That's what his heart longs for. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, God, give me all the suffering I can handle. Um, you know, I, I'm honest with God about what I, what my heart wants. You know, I, I don't want to suffer this way. Um, but right after that, um, confession and the prayer is the submission to God's will. And that's a very different thing for Jesus. You know, Jesus's work in person is a special topic in theology. Uh, the work uh, that we do is, is not the same redemptive work that Jesus does, but uh, there's a, a correlation in the sense that Jesus moves from addressing God, confessing what is in his heart, but then submitting to the will of God. And we know from what happens to Jesus that that will ends up looking pretty nasty over yeah. the next several days. You know, it, it looks hideous. Um, and the message of that passage and, and its application is not going to be, 
as much as we'd like it to be. Jesus did this. And so now you don't have to suffer. Um, even though that's true in terms of our eternal fate, you know, Jesus did that. So we don't have to have any fear of death. Um, that's certainly true. And we praise God for that. But the message is, is for me, at least has been, there will be a time of submission to God's will. And if you want to think of it this way, you could say there will be a time of choosing where you will have the choice to either say, I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to have some different negative response to this, or I'm going to submit to whatever God wants to be doing through me in this and start looking for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, um, it's a different, it's a perspective shift. I think when you, when you enter a, uh, a phase of suffering, you can just do what, what most of us do, I think, is we just kind of flat out experience it, um, you know, because it's painful, you know, and it's, it's raw and we don't analyze it. We just feel it. Um, you know, I, I tried to move a big iron stove with my father-in-law and I trapped my hand between this big cast iron stove and the wall and crushed, you know, one of my fingers a little bit. And I, you know, in the moments after that, I was not analyzing my suffering. You know, I, I was just trying to get a breath out. Um, but that's short-term suffering. You know, when you have longer-term suffering, which is what anxiety tends to be for many people, you have an ability to enter into it with a different perspective. Um, so I would wake up, for instance, knowing I'm probably going to feel anxious throughout the day. Uh, I'm probably going to feel anxious when I get in my car to drive to work. I'm going to feel anxious um, when I realize that I'm far from home. Uh, I'm going to feel anxious again when I have to drive back to work. Uh, you know, I, I would know all of my pressure points. So I knew that that was going to happen. And that's a different kind of approach to suffering because now I can, I can go into it with some kind of a plan. Um, and that's, that was what I found helpful, I guess, in, in, in looking at that example from Jesus, also the examples from Paul and, and all the horrendous suffering that he goes through. And I think the key to it is understanding uh, what, I, what I've told other people is, you know, if I were to ask you, what is the best possible thing that could happen to you right now? Like whatever you would wish, you know, best possible thing. Um, and you really are candid you'll have a lot of different answers from people. You know, they want uh, a family. Uh, they want financial security. They want success, you know, at their job. They want talent. They want some kind of talent that sets them apart as uh, ridiculously, you know, special. But they want something like that when, when you ask them the question, what's the best possible thing that, that could happen to you? And uh, the, the crazy thing in scripture is that it takes every human answer to that question and shows how embarrassing it is uh, by pointing to uh, the truth that God, what God really wants for you. Uh, and I, I usually point people to Romans eight twenty nine. Like if God is the best possible being, if he's the most loving, the most kind, the most beautiful, the most glorious, uh, the most righteous, the most holy, if that's who God is, if God is the greatest, then wouldn't the best possible thing that could happen to you be that you would be made more like him. And, and that's what you get in Romans 8, 29. It talks about being destined to be conformed to the image of God's son. Um, you know, if, if we didn't have the Christian faith, that would sound blasphemous 
you know, to be able to say, you know, what's the, what's the best possible thing that could happen to you? Oh, I'd be made more like the son of God himself. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but in scripture, it's, Hmm. it's right there in front of us. And then we don't even look at it that closely. We just think, yeah, yeah. Conforming to Christ's image. You know, and then we think that that's somehow becoming a better person and, um, you know, being morally upright when those things are really symptoms of, of what it looks like to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Um, so if you look at scripture from that perspective of saying the best possible thing that could ever happen to me is actually happening right now. I just don't feel it as a, a concrete experience, but it's happening right now. And the path for having those things happen is actually suffering in Christ. And I think that we, we overlook that part of, of Romans. We love like Romans eight twenty eight. Says, you know, God will work all things to the good of those who love him. Mm-hmm. And we think, yeah, you know, everyone, that's like the most quoted passage. Um, in fact, I saw a, sh- a TV series recently that wanted to include that, but they cut off part of Romans 8.28. And so all the characters just kept saying, uh, you know, God will work all things together for good. And I thought, yeah, that's not the whole passage for the good of those who love him. But then right after that in 8.29, it's, you know, for those who are being, you know, called and destined to be conformed to his image. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that conforming to the image of Christ, uh, Paul is very clear, especially happens through suffering uh, with Christ, you know, sharing in his sufferings so that he might share in Christ's resurrection. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that part of it makes it easier to enter into an experience of trauma or long suffering or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And instead of just saying, I'm just going to let this happen and respond to it in the moment, I would, I would find myself starting a day with a plan of uh, asking God repeatedly, what do you want me to do right now? You know, here, Uh, how do you want to teach me to conform to the person of Christ right here? You know, as I'm driving home, um, you know, so I, that would lead me to, you know, for example, to just spend my entire commute to and from work praying for people. And I got a, a, a very active prayer life because that was what I needed uh, to to fill my mind with, you know, as I was praying, as I was driving. Of course, I kept my eyes open. But, you know, the idea that you can spend that time that I would have probably spent turning on the radio or, um, you know, talking to someone on the phone or, or doing something else. I had an intentional purpose for that time. Um, and then more broadly, every time I was, I was encountering feelings of anxiety, which, you know, for someone with an anxiety disorder that happens like every day, uh, every time I encountered those feelings, I was asking how questions, how do you want to shape me to Christ through this? Um, and there was always an answer right in front of me. Like I need to listen to this person with my full attention. So I'm just going to kind of really give this person um, my undevoted attention. Um, or I'm going to ask somebody else who's around me, hey, can I help you do this? Um, and just start trying to serve somehow. Um, and, it, you know, secretly in my heart, I think people might have been very appreciative of some of the things I was doing. I always felt like I had a selfish reason for doing them because my my motive was, I'm going to go nuts if I just keep thinking about my anxiety. So help me uh, by letting me do something for you so that I can focus my attention there. Um, But in hindsight, that really had an effect on 
developing habits for me um, so that when I felt anxious, I wasn't kind of just standing and saying, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Um, how long is it going to last? When am I going to get past it? Uh, it was asking Christ uh, you know, in the spirit concretely, how do you want to shape me to you in this moment? Um, and there was always some answer um, that I, that I had in that, in that moment. So uh, that certainly developed a, a habit that was encouraging over the long haul, because I could start to see that I was changing um, and that I was, uh, I was having to answer uh, specific questions of what does it mean to be conformed to Christ's image? And I would, I would start finding myself looking at scripture by trying to answer that question. Well, what is Christ like? I want to know more about what he's like. He's patient, he's long suffering, he's generous. Um, he's uh, self-sacrificing. So I would start to identify these, um, these different traits of the person of Christ. And that would help me in a, in a situation, start to see different avenues for how, how God might be answering those how questions. Um, and I think that that's, that's a future book project coming up in terms of looking at uh, all the character traits of Christ and how we're being shaped to that uh, particular person. Um, I think it's, we do ourselves a disservice when we think that being conformed to the, to the image of Christ just means that we become a better person. I think you have to dig a little bit and figure out, yeah, become a better person. How, like, in what way are you actually going to resemble Christ more for doing this? Um, I don't think we, we ask that question very frequently. Um, and I think it's, it's a critical question because it's a major catalyst for sanctification for being made more like the image of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just kind of listening to what you're saying and um, so much of what your perspective is, is so very counterintuitive to our, experience and that was a question that i had for you because i imagine imagine you went through do this yourself and that maybe some listeners um are in this place where um you know you, you probably get it from the outside world from friends and family and also from yourself maybe from church uh this idea of you know I, some people may be even agreeing you almost to a certain degree to say I, i'm okay to suffer for a period for the purpose of reaching this place where now I, I've learned and I've I, I, now I, I I've learned my lesson or I've gotten through it. Um, but but the ultimate goal is to is, is healing, right? I I I don't want to continue suffering um, in this way, and it's okay if I can be conformed. Um, but um, you know, eventually at some point, you know, with enough conforming, you know. I don't need the suffering. I, 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 yeah. I don't know how, how to frame it, but um, but my question, yeah, for for you is is you know maybe speak to that for someone that's maybe looking at this like are are you giving up on on healing um, by by, hmm. by speaking of this because that that's sort of um, you didn't really speak too much of it. Obviously, this, the whole book is 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 dealing with it. And you're giving people hope. Um, who's dealing yeah. with it, but am I supposed to just fold and say, I'm just destined to deal with anxiety for the rest of my life? Yeah. I, I think as much as I would like to give general answers to that, I, I start by recognizing that there are personal differences you know, from one reader to the next. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the sense that I, you know, I, 
I can love a reader, but I, I don't know the detailed and providential plan that God has for their lives. You know, so are there people who might read the book and feel discouraged because they're looking for an answer? Like, how do I conquer anxiety? Uh, I'm sure if I used the word conquer in the title, it would have sold more copies. But, you know, I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm focused on, partly because if people want to read those books, they're out there. You know, yeah. you can you can go find books by, from people. And, and I'm not saying that there's nothing to be learned by them either. Um, there might be some some very helpful things in there. I think that what I want to remind readers of, even if they do feel like anxiety isn't their problem, or, or maybe they only dealt with it for a season, what I do want to remind readers of is uh, the fact that Christ's conformity is a path um, of, of suffering. That doesn't mean you won't experience the good things in life or, or, or experience blessings. You can have that too, but that's certainly not what you're chasing after, you know, as a Christian. And I feel like in some contexts, practically, even though confessionally, we would never say this, but practically, a lot of us live almost like a a kind of strange form of of Christian Buddhists, um, or or like we're we're trying to achieve some state of Christian nirvana, where we we don't have to suffer anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've learned all that we need to learn from suffering, and now we're we're just past it. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing in scripture that presents suffering like that. you know, I think that uh, I think that that's a, a foreign thing to to Jesus and to the Apostle Paul. Um, you know, so having said all that, I, I want people to understand the purpose of suffering. The the big answer to that why question is always Christ conformity. You know, so even no matter what you're dealing with, that's the biblical response to the the. Um, or at least one of the biblical responses, you know, maybe there's more than one, but there it's one of the biblical responses to why am I suffering? Um, that answer might be different if you're not a Christian, but if you are a Christian, then you learn that you're being conformed to the image of Christ. That's why these things are happening in some way. Um, which again is very encouraging from the perspective of saying the things that I feel convinced are bad and negative and hurtful have to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Like these things that are are wrecking me or tearing me down, I know from scripture have to serve my good. Ultimately, Hmm. Um, God is going to use them. So, so there's no ultimate losses in that sense. Um, So I want people to see that, uh, that your, your ultimate goal is, is Christ conformity. It's not like I think sometimes people use the idea that you're victorious in Christ and that equals not suffering um, because you're strong. You know, if you, if you emerge from scripture with the assumption that Christ is really strong, I think you miss the gospel because yes, in a sense, Christ is the most, you know, the strongest but the portrait you get in scripture is that Christ as the son of God entered into humanity and went to the weakest point, you know, the very bottom of the Valley um, and, and suffered a, a horrendous unjust death. You know, he did all of that. So why would we think if, if, if he's our Lord, if, you, if we're walking after him, why would we think that we don't have to do that? You know, and I think that some people, again, you can misunderstand scripture over the years. You know, I do it too. So everyone's guilty of it, but 
you can misunderstand parts of scripture that talk about our um, our glorification, our strength in Christ, um, the fact that we're new creatures, you know, new creations in Christ. And we can misinterpret that to mean like, well, Christ went through the path of suffering unto glory. And Paul said that he was going to do that, but I don't have to do that. Um, and I, I don't know where that idea comes from, uh, other than just from the place of us not wanting to do that. Um, will God have, have a kind of triumphant experience for some people who struggle with anxiety? Sure. I've talked to a lot of people that have that. You know, they, they go through a really tough period of, of anxiety, sometimes for months, sometimes for years. And then they get to a place where they feel like I'm not really dealing with that anymore. You know, I think that's, that's behind me for the moment. Um, so that's possible. And I, I do, I think you should pray for that kind of healing. Sure. Uh, you have to be candid, you know, and I, I think that a lot of Christians will pray what they think God wants them to pray. Um, yeah. But, you know, the psalmists are great examples of people who just pour out, you know, uh, what they're feeling and thinking and lamenting and what, why they're frustrated because if this is who God is and why is this happening? Um, so I think being candid is really critical. Um, you know, I've never, even though I've seen how God has used anxiety in my life, I've never said um, that I like anxiety. You know, I, I, I don't, I like watching what God does through it, but, you know, there's a host of, of really debilitating physical symptoms that comes with anxiety. Um, some people who are listening that have some experience might, you know, you get shortness of breath, rapid heart rate, you feel like your throat's closing up, you can get tingling sensations in your limbs. Um, like it can be physically uh, incapacitating. There's no sense of, in, in which I'd say I like that. I like anxiety. Um, I don't. And I, and I would pray just like everyone else for the peace of God to transcend my understanding uh, on a daily basis. I think that's good to pray for because that's what um, God has told us is in store for us, whether that's right now or uh, at a, a different time. But uh, I think it's good to pray for that. But I don't want people to, uh, I guess in a sense, I don't want people to waste suffering. Uh, and yeah. when you when you look primarily at suffering as an obstacle to get out of the way so that you can get back to doing what? Uh, my question is always like, but what is the next what? Like, what are you trying to get the suffering out of the way so that you can do next? And I don't think a lot of us have the answer of wanting to serve Christ in a different way. <laughs> you know, even though that would sound really good. You know, I want to I want to get over this you know, this form of cancer so that I can do this kind of ministry. Um, some people I'm sure would say that, and they would be honest. Uh, a lot of us, you know, myself included would say, well, I want to get past this form of suffering. Why? Because I'm just tired of it. I, I'm, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, I want to enjoy, you know, my life. I, I don't want to just be um, fighting to look at every single day as, as a big um, puzzle or problem that I have to try to navigate through. Uh, I just want a breather. You know, I want to take it easy for a little while. And I think that when when you fall into, as, and I've, I've done it too a lot of times, when you fall into looking at suffering as an obstacle, you want to get out of your way. Um, you, you live in a broken world. So if it's not anxiety, it's going to be something else. You know, you're, no one has an a, a object-free, you know, perfect path. So rather than just trying to, to grab it and get it out of the way, 
what is it going to teach you? You know, what can you learn from it? Um, you know, and there's been numerous uh, movies that have popular lines like this, but it usually goes something like, you know, I don't learn anything from succeeding. I learn a whole lot of things from failing, you know, from, from having difficulties, but it's true when you think about it, you know, when I have a good day and then somebody asks me how my day was, sometimes I even have trouble remembering because I'm like, well, you know, everything went the way I wanted it to go. So uh, my day was good, you know? Uh, when you have struggling and, and suffering and things you have to work through, um, I think it does more forging in you. It, it kind of, um, you know, there's a spiritual writer from the 60s that said, uh, our sorrow is cavernous to our joy. And that always stuck with me. Um, the idea that when you go through intense suffering, it's like you're, you're having these uh, hands go into your soul and carve out more space. Uh, and when you have joy, or comfort or pleasure, you have a much deeper appreciation for it um, than, than you would have had otherwise. Uh, and that's certainly true for me as a father, you know, losing my, my father as a teenager, I'm much more intentional about trying to listen to my kids, uh, spend time with them. Um, if I did not have that kind of suffering as a teenager, I don't think I would have been responding like I am, you know, to my kids. Um, so suffering just tends to change us in, in ways that uh, comfort or ease don't. Um, and that's, that's the, the thesis of the book I wrote on suffering is, is basically that, um, you know, painful things change us in ways that easy things don't. And um, that doesn't mean that we enjoy it, uh, but it does mean that we have some different interpretation for how we go through something. Um, we don't grieve as the world grieves. You know, we don't go through anxiety as the world goes through anxiety. Um, I go through anxiety asking these how questions. Um, I look at what the anxiety is making me do, um, how it's trying to push me in a certain direction. Um, John Calvin used to use uh, a Latin expression uh, for sin that basically means that you're curved in on yourself. Uh, sin is a way of, of kind of treating people like they're letter C's. You know, I think of a letter C, it's kind of bent in on itself. And sin makes you extremely self-centered. Mm. And that was one of the first things I noticed about my own response to anxiety when I was really struggling with it was when I was dealing with it, I wanted everything to take care of me. And I wanted all resources to be dedicated to making sure I was okay. Um, that plans were navigated around what I was comfortable with. Um, and I recognized that early on and, and had to start fighting it, which was really painful because it meant saying yes to things that I really just wanted to say no to. Um, but there was always shaping when I said yes. Um, it was not fun shaping, but there was something that happened when I said yes to something I didn't want to do, um, usually something that was for someone else. Uh, and go, went through that, that whole experience looking for, God, how do you want to shape me to Christ in this? Um, not just how can I put my head down long enough to pick it up when I'm on the other side of this and get past it, um, but how can I use the suffering in the way that you would want me to use it? Yeah. So I want to get practical here in a second, but I do have another question uh, kind of following up on, on what you just said. And you alluded to it earlier. Um, you spoke about Matthew 6, 
um, and how people will kind of jump to that scripture and how that's one of those things that you mentioned our inability to just shut off our feelings. Um, but one, I think, common thing you'll hear when reading other books that deal with the topic of anxiety from a biblical perspective, they often point out, um, at least I've heard this before, how, how often we're commanded not to fear in Scripture. And in the example that you used uh, in Matthew, you know, Jesus uh, explicitly says not to be anxious. So, you know, the the perspective there could be that, you know, yes, of course, uh, I, I know I'm going to have to suffer. I know that's going to shape me to be more like Christ. Uh, a lot, everyone deals with suffering to, to a certain degree. Um, you know, and some of that stuff is external. Some of it may be internal. But when we look at something like anxiety, um, you could argue that it is not the Lord's will for you to be anxious. Therefore, if I am anxious, it is something to be fixed. Uh, so what yeah. would you say to that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, certainly, there are passages throughout Scripture that talk about fear. That I think there's different kinds of fear. Um, there's, a, there's a reverential or respectful fear of the Lord. Um, as as the, the kind in Proverbs, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that must be a good kind of fear because it leads to something good. Um, other places, um, uh, you know, the, the passage from Joshua, you know, comes to mind about, you know, do not be afraid, you know, do not fear. Um, and, and then there's passages in the New Testament, like perfect love casts out fear because uh, fear has to do with punishment. So I do think that there are first thing to recognize is that there are different kinds of fear um, and people can flatten them sometimes and just say, no, there's one meaning to fear and this is it. And God says, don't have it. It's just not true for, for the way that scripture portrays it. Um, I think people try to flatten language to control things uh, because it can make them feel a little bit more secure, um, but it's more complicated than that. And I, I believe that, um, First of all, think about tone of voice. Um, and this is probably for, for me, this is the most under investigated area of biblical studies hmm. is, is this, how do you speak scripture, right? So take a passage as an, as an example, like the one from, from Joshua. We look at the words that say, do not fear, right? Do not be afraid. How is that being pronounced? Like most of us don't even think about that. We just read, you know, the words, but is God yelling that? Like, don't be afraid. Like, is he yelling in somebody's face? Don't do this. Or, and this was the, the reading that I was, I was open to from Ed Welch does some, has done some good writing on, on anxiety, but I read this passage in Ed Welch. I had never read. Um, I had never seen the, the passage in scripture that way before, but said, you know, you can read a passage like this as if the voice or the tone is a military commander saying, you know, don't you do it, like get in line or, or get out, you know. What if it's read in the tone of voice of a heavenly father who loves you? And then it wouldn't sound like, you know, don't be afraid. It would sound like, hey, don't be afraid. You know, I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to go before you and behind you. It's okay. Um, that makes much more sense out of the character of God based on, on the rest of scripture. It's not to say that God can't give 
you know, declarative authoritative commands. He can certainly do that and does uh, throughout um, passages of the Bible. But there are places like that where you feel like, um, I need to figure out God's tone of voice here, um, or at least decide how I'm going to pronounce this. And I think a lot of people just look at it and they see the exclamation point in their English Bible translation and they say, oh, God's yelling. You know, this is God full on, um, you know, military voice. And, and I don't think that that's, um, that's a very flat reading of scripture, you know, based on, on who God is and who he declares himself to be, even in the Old Testament. You know, when, he, when God identifies himself, he says he's the God of loving kindness, you know, steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, you know, he doesn't always start by saying, you know, I'm the almighty and you better step in line, um, even though he would have every right to say that. So I think that the tone of voice in certain passages is something that people don't even have on their radar. Um, and they just assume like, oh, well, there's an exclamation point here, or this looks like a command. So I'm going to read this as God yelling at me to not feel anxious. Just stop it. And again, I just don't know any situation where that is actually effective. And since God knows all things, I'm sure that he knows what's effective and what's not effective. But, you know, to, to, demand that someone stop mm. feeling something. I just, I don't have any examples that I've seen in scripture or from my own life in both places. I don't have any examples where that has ever worked, where someone has said, don't feel this. And then the human being switches off the feeling and says, okay, because we're not machines. Like we have the, the running emotions that we have to deal with. And um, I think it's more complicated than just saying, well, stop doing this. So the question is, well, what does it mean? What am I supposed to do then? Um, and I think that you could look at tone of voice. You could also consider that the response that we have in those passages, when God says, don't be afraid, that could be a command for the action you need to take amidst the fear. Right. Like, don't be afraid could, could easily mean don't do the thing that fear tells you to do. Right. Don't don't you know turn around and run from this. Don't be afraid and let fear govern you. Instead, even amidst the feelings of fear, do what I'm asking you to do. You know, mm -hmm. step out in faith and do the thing that, that I know you may not want to do. Um, now that makes a whole mm -hmm. lot more sense to me of in, in terms of the people that were asked to do ridiculous things in scripture and did them. I thought I, it's really hard for me to read those passages and just imagine those people flicking a switch and, and not feeling things anymore. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine all of them saying, yeah, this is really tough. And um, I can't shut these feelings off, but I'm going to trust you, God, and, and do what you're asking me to do. Uh, you know, Joshua is going to say, I'm, I'm going to lead the people out, you know, against the, the Canaanites. That's a response of trust and faithfulness, as opposed to a response of fear that would, that would lead to disobedience. Um, so I think that that is an important thing to, to remember, that you can have responses to anxiety that are reflective of disobedience. And I know that's very uncomfortable in our day because we want to say that, you know, when you're dealing with anxiety, you just mm -hmm. need to be encouraged and assured and comforted. Um, but there is the dimension of, of what you choose to do amidst the feelings. Um, and there are times where we are going to fall and make the wrong choice. Um, there were many times where I had anxiety and chose to, to protect myself. 
you know, instead of doing what I felt like I probably should have done in that moment. Um, so we, we all continue to struggle with that, but you always have that choice. So whenever you have a choice, you have an element of morality, uh, you know, of, of good or, or, or evil. And um, scripture seems to portray God as the ultimate good, the ultimate, the one who is ultimately good. And what does he do? He self-sacrifices. Like he sends his own son who dies for the sins of the world. So I found that to be a helpful theme in my own responses to anxiety. I can self-protect in this moment, or I can self-sacrifice. And I know what I should do. Uh, and I'm mindful of when I just choose to protect myself. Hmm. Uh, and, and when I'm candid with myself, I say, yeah, that was a sinful response. I, I, I should have stepped out in some faith there and actually self-sacrificed. Um, that's not just guilt trip people who deal with anxiety. Cause I, I deal with this all the time too, yeah. but there is a, there is a moral dimension to your response to the feelings that you experience. And um, I found that, that following that path that suggests whatever self-sacrificing action you could take, that's probably a safe biblical path uh, in that moment. Um, yeah. Regarding the other, you know, frequently misused passage, Matthew six, I think I've written a little bit about this. Oftentimes, uh, Christians who have been in the church for a while, um, I think for years, we've many people have just been encouraged to, to memorize verses. I used to work at a bank, and I used to have this, this old man who would come in every week, and I had my Bible next to me because I would, I would be reading my Bible when I had you know free time. So he would see my Bible next to me. Every week he would come in, and he would shout out a verse and try to see how fast I could find it. And I thought that's so typical of how certain people were raised in the church because they were raised to memorize scripture, but they weren't me raised to memorize passages. They have these like verse, you know, cherry picking uh, approach to, to, to scripture memorization. And you know, any kind of biblical memorization can be good. So, you know, I'm all for it. But it, what, it, what it could lead to on a negative sense is people that take a passage like the passage about anxiety in Matthew 6, and say, well, you should be anxious for nothing. Mm. You know, so if you're doing that, if you're feeling anxious, you're guilty. You're doing something wrong. And my first step as, a, as someone who reads the Bible is to say, is that what that passage is about? And most people will say, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure what passage, what the whole passage is. I just know Jesus says not to be anxious. And you go back and look at the passage, and it's all about where your priorities should be, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. Don't let your heart be anxious for these other things, right? Chasing after food or clothing or your job. You know, don't make those things a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. So the passage is really about prioritizing the kingdom of God. It's not about telling people to switch off their emotions, but the, the kind of um, cherry picking approach to scripture memorization, I think has created this tension for people where they say, well, God says not to be anxious. Jesus said that. So if you're anxious, you must be sinning. Um, and for most people that use that passage, I think that they don't even know what the passage is about. Um, mm -hmm. they, they just have pulled that verse out. And you have to read scripture in context. Uh, I, saw, I saw a meme the other day that made me laugh. I think it said, somebody had a mug and it said on the mug, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Uh, and I thought, it, that really is true. You can justify almost anything you want to if you just yeah. pull a verse out. 
And I think that that happens uh, a lot in the church, combined with the fact that people just assume that faith looks like not struggling. Um, when I don't, I've been reading about David, you know, lately, and I feel like, gosh, David struggled like a ridiculous amount. And he's the one that God says is a man after his own heart. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just an interesting um, narrative to read through with that perspective. So anyway, those are the things, some of the things I would say, I think that many Christians are well-meaning. They want to encourage their friends and family. Um, they want to build up their faith. Um, my advice to people in that position is to never underestimate the value of pure listening. Um, I just finished reading a book about listening. It was fantastic called The Listening Life. It, we, we really underestimate that the value of just listening. And that's a huge component for people with anxiety because oftentimes what they want is they want to be heard. They just want to voice that they want to voice to somebody what's going on inside without somebody trying to problem solve. Um, but we, we have such a fixation on problem solving that we think, oh, I need to say something that will help them, you know, um, stop feeling this way. And, and a lot of times I would say it's, it's much better just to listen and just ask questions and pay attention. And that's it. You don't have to solve someone's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can find out how to pray for them. But listening is is an, an unchecked gift, I think, in the church. And we need more of it. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that. And that's so true because I think if you don't deal with anxiety, it is so difficult to understand it. I mean, you really can't understand it fully. Um, you know, everyone deals with anxiety to to a certain degree, mm. but but what you're talking about is something. If if I've never dealt with it, um, from you know, you can come across the wrong way with such a simple solution like oh mm-hmm. well that you just don't feel his way or whatever and here's some scripture and, and really feel like you're helping somebody when in actuality you could be just making it worse um mm-hmm. but uh man I, I loved your answer to that question because you know about, about tone um because that really matches you know i think about myself as a father and and it's kind of important to make that distinct like i think what i heard you say was that fear not when you're being commanded not to fear, you're really not fearing the outcome um, mm. or the ultimate result. But that doesn't mean that I that I'm not scared. You know, looking mm-hmm. at Joshua for the example. You know, don't don't fear because I got you. Um, but there's he's not saying that somehow you're just like any element of of, of being scared whatsoever needs to, you just needs to be obliterated. And I think practically speaking dealing with anxiety um you know and, and and it could alleviate some of that fear i mean you know joshua is now drawing close to the lord knowing that yeah. that he's drawing his strength from him and so practically speaking you know, if, if there's maybe an event you know you don't want to go to um as you as you stated a response could be it, it's well, i'm going to stay home and fear fear not would be well, I don't have to fear going to this. It doesn't mean that as I'm there, that somehow I'm not going to be I'm not going to be scared or I'm not dealing with any anxiety. But, um, but so yeah. I think what you're saying is you you can fear not, and then also experience anxiety at the same time. Is, is kind of what I'm yeah. 
I think as I'm hearing you talk about it too, it's kind of like a, like if you say, well, don't be afraid, the positive response is what people are looking for. It's like, well, what should I do? If I'm not supposed to be afraid. What can I do? Because I have to do something. And I think the biblical answer is walk in faith. So it's don't fear equals walk in faith. You know, that's the opposite. Not, you know, don't fear doesn't mean I'm going to turn my feelings off so that now I can't process that and I'll just feel differently. Um, it means walk in faith. And I think of the same, I'll, I'll end with this, but the, you know, examples of, I know how, and how anxious I was as a kid, you know, I was always an anxious kid, but going to school for the first time uh, and hearing my parents say those words, you know, don't be afraid. It's okay. Um, and, and hearing those words come out of my own mouth, you know, when I'm talking to my kids going to their first day of school, um, realizing that when they walk away, it's not as if the fear is disappearing. I'm not asking them to stop feeling. I'm asking them to walk in faith. You know, I'm asking them to to take a step in this direction. Um, And I think that that is oftentimes what what we see happening in scripture. It's it's not uh, God, you know, militarily barking commands for us to shut feelings off. It's a loving father asking his children to walk in faith. And we might still have the feelings while we're doing that, but walking in faith amidst the feelings for me is the very definition of courage. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, really, in that sense, you know, if you're not fearful at all, then how can you be courageous? It's almost a prerequisite, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no sense of bravery if if you're not afraid to do it. Um, Yeah. Well, I got to say, um, I'm kind of looking at time, so I'll, I'll say, you know, I think myself reading this book, I would say it, it's really helpful to to get that perspective. Um, and so anyone that's, you know, looking for something fresh and different, um, you know, I, I think this is a, a great resource. Um, and uh, you do have a lot of practical, a lot of a lot of practical things as well. You know, it's, it, this isn't just uh you know, something to make, make you feel good. You, you definitely get into kind of the nitty gritty of mm. how do I, you know, what does this actually look like situationally for someone yeah. that's going through this? Um, so I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to, to, I guess, say anything else you want to uh, about this topic, uh, tell people where to get the book and, and then we'll close out. Yeah, sure. I think, um, yeah, at this point, I think if I described the book to some people as more something that you do not just read. So you'll you'll have a lot of Mm. opportunities to do things uh, that will help you reflect. Um, And even if you don't struggle with anxiety yourself, a lot of people have read the book that just say it helps them figure out how they can speak to someone else in their life who who battles anxiety. Um, So that may be a resource for you if you're just looking to better understand someone who's dealing with those things. Um, But yeah, you could get the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, um, you know, most, most uh, book retailers will have it there, but you know, Amazon is usually the first, first answer that most people have for their shopping list. So, uh, so that's the easiest place, but um, I, yeah, I hope it's a blessing to you. And uh, let me pray for you. Uh, and if I can, I'll close this in prayer. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, dear heavenly father, we do thank you that you are a God who works through weakness and through suffering so that even when we experience hard things, we know that you are there. Uh, that you are with us and that you are shaping us to the image of your son. 
I pray for anyone who's listening to this, who struggles with anxiety or who knows someone who struggles, that you would give them encouragement, uh, especially uh, from the truth that you know what we are experiencing, that you are with us as we experience it, no matter what we feel. I uh, pray that you would encourage them to walk faithfully on whatever path of suffering is before them, knowing uh, that they can be full of joy and hope because of the real riches they possess in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with somebody you know. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.